0: listening.
1: back to our big question about the cross. What does it mean? It means too much. So much that can't be captured in a the theory. In the end, the atonement is nothing but the good news of relationships. That's the Reverend Mark Stenberg from 51% Christian.
2: Really? Because I was going to say, oh, it seems like it's going to be a good one tonight.
3: i Mark to be like, uh, it makes me feel good. I like it.
2: He, know, he gets the good news.
3: He does get the good news. And he can talk about it like, I don't know.
2: Were you going like, to say in a way that didn't seem stupid?
3: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say in a way that makes sense, but then I thought, oh, maybe it doesn't make sense, but it feels right or something. I mean, um, does it ever make
2: sense? I don't know if it ever makes sense, no, but it does sometimes... I like when you can find the good news, you know, in the in the text, in the morass of human, you know, I don't know, march through history. And Mark seems like he really can't articulate it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I know. Um, so, Mark, hey. Hey, uh, okay, so everybody else, um, hey to you as well. Um, hope that you're finding the good news. Hope that you're out there. Glad that you tuned in here to our Palm slash Passion Sunday uh, service podcast. And also, right now, as we speak, we are beginning our Palm Sunday slash Passion Sunday quasi-Zoom service. So if you want to think, hey, I can listen to this podcast anytime, I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to go on this Zoom Service and see everybody, and uh, yeah, hear music and play games. Is that yeah, a thing? Games. Yeah. yeah. And the
3: the link for the Zoom is on the newsletter.
2: Correct. It's on the newsletter, which uh, you will have just received, you know, in the last hour or so, if you get the newsletter. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, this is Holy Week. It is. Beginning of Holy Week today. Well, what do we've got? We've got Good Friday. We right? got Good Friday coming up, and uh, you know this has always been a service that uh, has meant a lot to us at House of Mercy. We usually ask fourteen visual artists to interpret each station of the cross, and then we make our way of the cross through those stations and read the liturgy. Uh, but this year, of course, we cannot do that, so we have asked fourteen of our writers, to just take a, a moment and reflect and uh, uh, write something uh, on each of the 14 Stations of the Cross and uh, read it for us. And uh, Sam and everybody down at uh, House of Mercy Productions edit it into uh, a thing we call uh, Liturgical Audio Reflections.
3: Yeah, I've always, I've always loved the visual art, but I really also loved it in a way. We were kind of forced to make it the literary art last year, and it was beautiful.
2: It was very, very beautiful. I've already, uh, I've already cried a little bit uh, listening to one. It yeah, amazing, I believe it. I yeah. Am, yeah.
3: So, and then you know, then comes the big day easter or the feast of the revolution as we usually call it we're gonna do that in person mm-hmm. it's gonna be outside mm-hmm. i looked at the weather yesterday and it looked very promising i mm. just i don't know how to you know i don't think i believe in praying to the weather gods but i practically want to anyway because i want it to be nice but no matter what no matter what the weather is we're doing it socially distance masks on proclaiming the resurrection the revolution Everybody come 5 p.m., no matter the weather. And there'll be music by Dan Newton's Cafe Accordion Orchestra. And hopefully the sun will be shining.
2: Absolutely. So we would love to see you there, no matter what the weather, or no matter what God Debbie is praying to. We'll all <laughs> be, <laughs> it'll be a good time for us all to get together. Man, it'll be good to see everybody. And uh, to proclaim uh, rebirth... So, let's uh, do that. Uh, Let's all do that together. Well? Yeah, let's see you next, next Sunday.
3: This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it.
2: Please join me now in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, in the midst of this undulating chaos, help us at least for this moment, to let go of the need to respond, the urge to assert some kind of control, so we may sit and find the counter-narrative in our breathing, de-escalating with every breath until we have found a center where clarity and mercy are more fully a possibility. Amen. Now, may the peace of Christ be with you all, and also with you. Won't you please join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer with God in your mercy and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for all those who participate in the Chauvin trial beginning this week. For the jurors, the judge, the legal teams, give them wisdom in their understanding of justice for the defendant, that he would feel your presence and an awareness of his own humanity. For the family and friends of George Floyd, for whom this trial surely brings back the deep sorrow and profound anger at his murder, and as it is rehearsed during this trial. Surround them with your peace and love. Hold them in this time of trial. Finally, we pray, for justice to be done, a true justice that is transformational, that law enforcement's interactions with men and women of color can never be the same. God in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those in need of physical, spiritual, and emotional healing. We pray especially for John Carney that he continues to heal and regain his strength and for Sonia and her family as they begin to live with the loss of her father. We pray for all those who are dying, mourning the dying, the death of a loved one, or beginning to understand what it means to live without them. We pray for those who are in prison and those who are prisoners of addiction, for those living with real loneliness for those of us who live with mental illness, especially in this time of isolation. Gather all of these in your arms and hold them in your healing love. Sustain them with your unending peace. God in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we pray for those traveling north to the border and all of your children who must leave their homes in an attempt to meet their most basic needs, food, shelter, possibility. Keep them strong, give them hope, move those they encounter to welcome them, treat them with dignity, if they are hungry to feed them, if they are thirsty to give them drink. God, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of mercy, we have not loved you with all that we are. We have hurt those in our lives and those who pass through our lives with the things that we have said, done, and left undone. We pray for your forgiveness and are confident that you will judge us with your grace and the resurrection. God of mercy, meet us now in this extended time of silence. May we all remain in the mercy. Amen.
4: The reading for tonight comes from the Gospel of Mark, verses 12 through 20. Pilate spoke to them, What do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted, Crucify him! Pilate asked them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him, and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. The Word of God.
1: The story of Jesus Christ, God coming into the world as a human, is weird and mysterious But even if it's hard to square with, I don't know, facts as we usually encounter them, it's beautiful. Like the eternal creator whose whole being is simply grace, whatever God is exactly, which is clearly indefinable but better than anything you can imagine. All love, all lively, ever-loving life becomes human, is born into the world for the world, has a mom, a placenta, is born like every other mammal. I love the sheer physicality of it all. I like to think God has such an intimate experience of humanness, inhabits it in this way. The birth, it it so radically identifies God with our essential life, life as we know it, and have it in our bodies, eating and sleeping and waking up in the morning. God lived in a body, felt what feet, Feel when they walk on wet grass, ate warm bread, drank good wine, held other people's hands, looked people in the eyes. And of course, death is part of the story of his becoming human, as it is for us. And as it is for many of us, death isn't like the best part of the experience. I mean, I've heard people describe death as beautiful, but on the whole, I think it's probably less so than birth for most of us. And certainly in the case of Jesus' death, not quietly in his sleep. It's like one of the worst deaths imaginable. Having just been with my 90-year-old parents, thinking of growing old and approaching death, I thought how I would love to have some stories of God incarnate growing old. If Jesus had become an old man, that would be interesting. I mean... Imagine a God who begins to forget what he was going to say, what he went upstairs for, a God who can't come up with the word he wants, loses his memory, his hair, gets wrinkles, joint pain, has lapses, continence. For some reason, that seems like it would be comforting to me, this slow deterioration, bearing somehow the weight or the lightness of God, the infinite, the infinitely good. Maybe it could have helped us grow old, to have images of God incarnate inhabiting old. But Jesus didn't grow old, didn't die with dementia or dignity or hospice care or with a loved one holding his hand. He died a violent and a humiliating death. He was tortured and executed unjustly by the powers that be, law and order allied with religion. But it wasn't only the powerful. The crowds in the streets who once wanted to experience his healing, the crowds who celebrated him with palm fronds just days earlier, earlier, cry for him to be crucified, when he seems to be losing, when he looks weak. And his closest friends abandon him. So, a terrible way to die. Intermittent, partial asphyxiation, Is probably what killed him from what I read about crucifixion. He couldn't breathe. God incarnate might have devised to help us by exemplifying the best human death possible or something, showing us how to grow old and die. But instead, Jesus dies this terrible way to help us, for us, to save us. I think it's a little hard to understand intellectually how that even works. People have a lot of theories about how it works over the centuries, some helpful, some not very. The substitutionary atonement theory has been very popular in American evangelicalism. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It leans very heavily on one of the many metaphors in the Bible, and it turns it into something like math. Or commerce. Is that Jesus died as a sacrifice for our sin? It goes something like: There's a price for sin. Like, God is keeping tabs on all the sin of all the humans in the world since the beginning, and it's a huge tab. So much sin. Someone has to pay it. It can't just be forgiven. So to save us from having to pay, God sacrifices His only Son, a very valuable asset to pay the bill for all that sin. And that is supposed to demonstrate how much God loves us. The son gets tortured by the father, so we don't have to be. That's only one atonement theory that has surfaced through the ages, but it's been a surprisingly popular one. Maybe because it's easy to tell, maybe because it makes people feel guilty, so they're easier to convert. But even though its proponents can say a million times how that shows God's love, it doesn't feel like it. A God so full of wrath that it has to go somewhere, so God turns it on his Son. Doesn't sound like a loving God. It doesn't seem like good news. It certainly wasn't new in terms of the history of religion. Powerful gods who must be appeased through sacrifice. They they show up across cultures and religions throughout mythologies everywhere. Scandinavian, German, Greek, Mayan, Aztec. Although the various cultures tell unique stories, what underlies them is something like, because the gods gave us life and give us sustenance, we are indebted to them. We owe them. Unless we pay them something, they'll be angry and they might hurt us. The rain won't fall, the crops won't grow, there'll be an earthquake, a virus. So to ward off the wrath, people sacrificed to the gods. Sometimes it was corn or grain or spices, sometimes human beings, sometimes children. Blood was valuable. Sacrifices were necessary, the thinking went, to keep the forces of evil and chaos at bay, to keep the peace with the gods to keep the world in order. Whether or not we consciously believe in all that, humans continue to operate as if it's true. Now it's the basis of so much violence. Something, someone has to die or suffer in order to keep the peace, in order for others to thrive. The Jews or the communists, the indigenous so-called heathens, slaves, the incarcerated, it might be the young men and women who fight in our militaries, die in our wars, to keep the peace. A lot of the world runs, whether consciously or not, as if this is the foundational truth. The sacrificial system keeps the peace. But thanks to St. James Allison, House of Mercy's bootleg saint, and many before him and beside him, as well as a thorough embrace of Scripture, many have come to see that, no, this isn't the foundational truth that sacrifice is necessary to keep peace. It's the foundational lie that God comes into the world to undo so we can quit scapegoating and killing and casting out some other as if this will save us. God comes to us in the flesh to reveal something about who God is and who we are. One thing God wants to live in the world God created, in a body. The material, flesh, isn't bad, something God finds disgusting, disgusting at all. Of course, it's not all flowers. It's complicated life. And God loves it. God loves what God created. Humans and grass and olives. He wants to walk around in creation with feet and skin and a stomach. Another thing, God is surrounded by people, when God comes into the world as Jesus, who do all sorts of not good things, not just don't give away all their money or love their neighbors, they actually seek to kill him, they torture him, betray him, spit on him. And where is the wrathful God who demands payment for all that sin, or will otherwise have to violently destroy all the sinners? Nowhere. God goes to some pretty great lengths to show us God is not a God of wrath. That God who insists we owe him, insists we make sacrifice to prove our allegiance, to quell his terrible wrath, we made that God up. God is mercy. Not that God is fine with our violence and justice, but maybe recognizes that Making someone pay for it is not the way to get rid of it, to end it, to free the world, to flourish, to become what it is meant to be. Mercy is the way. Love is the way. The story of Jesus' death also reveals something about humans, like we're so tied to our lies, our foundational lie, we might rather abandon God than believe in the mercy, than embrace its scandalous inclusivity, because it really does include a lot of people we don't like. God wants to free us from these ties to the scapegoating mechanism by overwhelming us with love, by covering every last spot on our bodies and souls with mercy, by showing us no matter how confused and lost we are, God forgives all our sin. Now, because Jesus, as if Jesus is separate from God, paid the price for it, not... Because of that, but because God loves us, likes us, longs to be in relationship with us. In the story of the cross, humanity looks not good, self-protective, self-serving, untrustworthy, so ready to mock and do violence. Every human in Mark's story, except very few women, ends up looking bad. Powerful, the religious, the crowds, Jesus' best friends, even the criminals hanging beside him on the cross, they all hurt, humiliate, or abandon him. Why tell a story if God loves us so much where we look so bad? Maybe because otherwise we keep pretending, keep running from the level of self awareness we need in order to be transformed until we can see the sorts of things that run us. Fear, shame, self-interest, we're stuck in them. I've been listening to St. Allison. He says this is what Lent is all about, the grace of penitence. Penitence is the best gift God could give us, the grace of being able to see how we're stuck. Feel sorrowful for it so we can begin to move. You can look it in the face instead of hiding because you'll have a glimpse of how much, in spite of everything, God likes you. James Cone, the great African-American theologian, thought that as Americans, we especially need to see, need to look in the face, what happened at the cross next to what happened at the lynching tree. If we haven't done so yet, 2021 seems like a good time to do it. Between 1880 and 1940, white Christians lynched thousands of black men and women in a way that was so startlingly like the Roman crucifixion of Jesus. Lynching was a public spectacle, like the cross, to discourage would be dissenters. Thousands of white men, women, and children in the South and in the North attended these lynchings. It was a family affair, a a ritual celebration of white supremacy. Families brought picnics. Vendors sold food. People had their pictures taken under the tree where the black body was hanging and made them into postcards. White parents put their children on their shoulders so they could better see it. Some attendees were even known to fight over the victim's possessions and various relics from the lynching. Cohn says, Until we can identify Christ with a re-crucified black body hanging from a lynching tree, there can be no genuine understanding of Christian identity in America. Generations of good, white, hard-working Christian families and no deliverance from the brutal legacy of slavery and white supremacy. Without understanding how often this story in some form keeps happening over and over, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery, Soon Chung Park, Soon Tak Kim, Philando Castile, without seeing what human mechanisms keep us repeating it, we'll keep repeating it. So as we move out of Lent into Holy Week, we might take the opportunity to inhabit our shame as white people in the USA, as terribly imperfect parents and friends, as scapegoaters, drunkards, and fools, instead of denying it or hiding it or running from it, sit in it. As St. James says, We might think, but it's all so very ugly. But God wants us to see ourselves through God's eyes. It's like, I do love you as you are, more than you know. Let's see if I can help you get out of your self-destructive ways of being, cycles of shame and hate and violence, help you grow into the people you're created to be, full of mercy and love. May the mercy... Make us merciful. Amen.
2: This is the Lord's table, and all are welcome. On the night before he suffered, our Lord took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after the meal, he took the cup, said this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sin as often as you do this do so in remembrance of me amen <laughs>
0: Treasures are laid up Somewhere beyond the blue The angels beckon me from
2: walk in mercy, act in love, and embrace confession.